0: Hey, I just want to. I've been gone for a couple weeks. My name's Brian, and I'm excited to be back. But the last couple weeks have been rich. Isn't it great to have a community of teachers here at Anchor rather than just one voice? We got lots of great teachers. Two weeks ago, we had Susan Bautirsa, our pastor of spiritual formation. And then last week, we had our very own Tiffany Bloom teaching and very excited to have great communicators on our team. Hey, I'm I'm starting with this question, though, and I want you to... I'm asking for some interaction. So are you guys ready for some interaction? All right, ready for some interaction? All right, here's the question. Here's the question. Have you ever read someone else's journal or diary? Raise your hand. Have you ever read someone else's journal or diary we have some honest people and some dishonest people in the house today all right i just want to say during the nine o'clock gathering i asked this question there were two married other married couple standing sitting next to each other they both raised their hand and we are take we have counseling set up for them so we are paying for the first five for them uh, so Admittedly, when I was a teenager, I don't remember what age, but I remember sneaking into my mom's bedroom, finding her diary, her journal or whatever, and reading it. And mom, if you're watching from home right now, just know I don't remember anything that I read. I don't remember anything that I read. I've got the sure, fire bulletproof way of avoiding anyone reading my journal. It's a two-pronged attack. First is I keep my prayer journal in my back pocket, which would be very weird for you to try to take from me. (laughs) That would be awkward. And secondly, I write in illegible handwriting that is unreadable by the common eye. It takes a trained eye. As some of you, if you've got a postcard from me, you can attest to that. (laughs) The benefit of writing those postcards, I can just write whatever I want and you'll assume it's a thank you or something. But in the last few weeks, we've we've looked at different ways of Jesus has prayed. In the first couple weeks, we looked at how Jesus has recommended prayer. He said, "Hey, pray like this." And then the last two weeks, we've seen how Jesus has has like his own rhythm of prayer. For instance, when Susan taught, she talked about how Jesus regularly went away to be in solitude and silence with the Father. How Jesus did this. And then last week, Tiffany taught us about how this Jesus had this rhythm of giving thanks, of the prayer of thankfulness. Today rather than a rhythm or a prescription, we're going to be looking into Jesus' prayer journal. We're going to be hearing Jesus' own desires, his heart. This is a passage of scripture often referred to as uh, the high priestly prayer in John chapter 17 and one of the main themes in this prayer is unity unity first thing we see in this prayer of jesus is that jesus prays we experience his glory jesus prays we experience his glory you might write that this down if you're kind of writing uh, down some notes and it would you could write down god's glory activates unity God's glory activates unity if you want to experience unity as a community like we are called to do like it is Jesus's heart for us to experience we need to become familiar with God's glory because God's glory activates unity. We read in John chapter 17, verse 20, it says, my prayer is not for them alone. He's speaking about the disciples here. It's not just for the disciples. He goes on. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message. Did you hear that? Jesus is praying for you. It's worth taking note of. Jesus is praying for you. You were on the mind of Jesus as he looked towards the cross with some of his last words. He prayed for you. He prays this for you, for us, that all of them may be one. Father, just as you are in me and I am in you, may they also be in us. So that the world may believe that you have sent me. I have given them the glory that you gave me. That they may believe that we are be one as we are one. I in them and you in me. So that they may be brought to complete unity. The Greek word for uh, glory is doxa. It means Weightiness or heaviness, or significance. Think about like a general in the army or the CEO of a company. There's this heaviness that comes in, that the significance when they step into the room, there's this atmospheric change because someone of significance, now we could say if they're significant or not, and we could mince words about that, but they're publicly seen as significant. When they come into the room, there's this sense of weightiness there. And Jesus is saying that He has weightiness, that He has significance that goes beyond just a social experience of someone at a high status coming into the room, but a spiritual reality that the God of the universe has this weightiness. And what does He pray? That we would experience that weightiness, that we would experience that significance, that we would become familiar with His glory because God's glory acted unity so Jesus here is in the tail end of his earthly ministry he's at what you could call a transitional moment and so one of the main reasons why he's praying that we would experience his glory is because he's moving towards sitting at the right hand of the father and he's asking that that we might carry on his significance and understand his weightiness even as he's gone And so as I'm reading uh, commentaries and reading scholars on this passage, I'm finding out that some of the commentators are actually frustrated with Jesus because they want to know these bullet points of exactly what is his glory. We get that you said glory, but could you outline it? We could define the word, but could you give us the bullet points of exactly what you had in mind when you said glory? So here's a couple things that the best ideas are of what Jesus had in mind when he said glory. The first is the Holy Spirit. In John chapter 14 and 16, Jesus promises the Holy Spirit. In fact, he says that, that it's better that I go because if I don't go, the Holy Spirit, the counselor, the comforter won't come. And believe me, you're gonna want the Holy Spirit to come. You're gonna want the comforter to come. The one that convicts the world of sin, convinces the world of righteousness, empowers us in our giftedness, grows us up into looking more like Jesus. This is what the Holy Spirit does. And you could say that this is an expression of the glory of God. And here's the reason why God's glory activates unity because when I look in your eyes I may see someone that looks different from me I might see someone that has a different ethnicity or a different voting background lives in a different part of town has a different socioeconomic status but if I know that they are a Jesus follower I know that I have more in common with them than any than I have in uh, uh, not in common and there's this weightiness. When I recognize the weightiness of that, then all of a sudden I can have unity with you in a way that is incredibly significant because we share in the one spirit, amen? amen. It goes beyond just the Holy Spirit though, though it's significant and vital as that is for all of us to experience unity and also just flourishing in our own lives. It goes on to an aspect of God's glory we could call as belief or believing in him, knowing who he is. At the end of Matthew's gospel, Jesus says, go into all the world, convince the world, tell the world uh, of of who I am, make disciples, and tell them to follow me in all areas of their life. This is basically what Jesus is saying, help them understand what it means to trust in me and to believe in me. Is that when we share in this common belief, we have something in common that is significant and weighty. Within a couple generations of the, of the church, there was something called the Apostles' Creed that was summoned together. That was the summation of what the apostles believed to be true about God. And we have it today as basically still the summation of what it means to believe in God, in the Christian God, the God of the Old and the New Testament. And when I have this belief, this weighty reality of truth in common with you, I have something of significance in common that can outlast any other cultural divisiveness because I have this belief in the same God with you. Jesus is saying, my glory activates unity, so I want my people, you, you and you, to know that level of glory so we can experience this level of unity. The third element of glory that we could imagine might be baptism. Baptism. I spoke at Anchor Lincoln last week, which was fantastic. Um, I love what God is doing in that congregation. And right before I spoke, they reminded me that I was also teaching a baptism class afterwards. And admittedly, I totally forgot about that. But you know, in season and out of season, I'm ready, I'm ready. <laughs> So afterwards, I uh, hung out with some, some people that were considering baptism for Easter, and I got to go through the kind of different elements of like what baptism is and how you get baptized and, you know, what, you know all the kind of stuff. And, and one of the things I love talking about um, is in, with when I'm doing these baptism classes is like baptism as a mark of identity. You know, gangs have colors. Uh, Retail workers have uniforms, military have uniforms, but followers of Jesus have something more subtle and more powerful, the baptismal identity that we share in common, that we all have gone under the water in identifying with the death of Jesus, and we all have emerged out of the water in identifying with the resurrection of Jesus. So when we do baptisms this Easter, and some of you may be followers of Jesus but haven't yet been baptized, that invitation is extended towards you to get baptized this Easter. When we do that, when we get baptized, it is a declaration of our confession of faith, but also a statement that we are unified with all of Jesus' followers that have gone before us, that will come after us, that are all over the world, in Africa, and Asia, in Canada, and Mexico, and the United States. We share in this baptismal identity. And the fourth last element of communion that, or sorry, of of glory that I'll mention is communion. We do communion every week. And admittedly, when you get that little thing that looks like a McDonald's half and half thing, you know, (laughs) it's like, does not look very sacred, can I be honest? But what you hear and the practice of it is incredibly sacred when you walk up towards the person looking eye to eye, face to face with you, and they say Christ's blood, Christ's body given for you, Christ's blood shed for you, and you hear those words as applicable and relevant to your life, but not only your life, the person that was in front of you and the person behind you and every other Christian church that practices communion, we recognize the unity of it. There's people from Lakewood and Gig Harbor. There's people that are 60-year-olds and six-year-olds. There's newly married and newly divorced. There's people that are journeying in recovery. There's people that may need to start a journey of recovery, and they're all in line together. And We all hear the same words. Christ's body given for you. Christ's blood shed for you it is worth taking a note just to savor the significance and the weightiness of that can I just tell you when we when when we understand these expressions these facets of God's glory in real practical ways that I've mentioned when we understand them We will experience a level of unity that confounds the world. The world does not know what to do with a unity that allows for such diversity. As Jesus says in verse 23, or 22 and 23, he says, I have given them the glory, I have given them the weightiness, I have given them the significance, I've passed on what is true and real about me. All the stuff that you gave me, Father. So that they may be one as we are one in them and you and me so that they may be brought to complete unity. Not a cosmetic unity, not a papering over everybody smiling while we're nursing grudges. And not a conceptual unity where we think, oh, wouldn't it be great if we all just liked each other? But complete unity, complete unity. Unity. This is Jesus's prayer. God's glory activates unity. Second thing we see in Jesus's prayer is that Jesus prays that the world would know. You see, Jesus is not disinterested in the world. He's not, he's not, he doesn't look at the world with disdain. He longs for every square inch of his creation and people that bear his image to know his power and love. You know, there are uh, what I would call, well, let me just read, here's the sentence that, uh, that's important for us, to, for, us to, for us to hear here. I got ahead of myself a little bit. <laughs> when we're unified, the world is drawn in. When we're unified as a church community, the world is drawn in. Chapter 17, verse 23 reads, then the world will know that you have sent me and have loved them. Even as you have loved me, Jesus desperately wants the world to know his love and his power. There are false sense of uh, false different types of unity that will not provoke the world to look in with with being compelled and interest and genuine uh, love. There are false senses of unity. First sense of false unity, I would call, is the unity of fear and protection. You see, when you have a person that is um, uh, anxious and nervous and looks at the world as evil and wants to protect and control an environment to save, save who they're responsible for from experiencing the evils of the world, you can create a uni- unity, but it's based on fear and protection. And there's, some, there's some actually some legitimacy to that because there's terrible stuff that happens in the world. And any parent wants to protect their kiddos from all the terrible stuff that happens in the world. But what this unity of fear and protection is, it warps that actual parental real leadership instinct into something that is riddled with fear and anxiety. Many of you may have read the book, uh, Educated, a couple years ago by Tara Westover, and she documents this uh, with clarity, having grown up in a fundamentalist Latter-day sect, uh, sect in the mountains of Idaho. Her father controlled an environment and disallowed anything from out there to come in here lest the, that would contaminate the home. And, so, and it was this toxic, protective, fear-based environment around control that eventually Tara left and she could look back on and recognize how painful and traumatic that was because of all the fear, control, and all the things therein. You see, the fear and control unity is based around the us versus them principle. And this is not the unity of Jesus. But there's an equal opposite error, what I would call the unity of fusing. Fusing is a psychological term. It's used in the counseling office. It's used by therapists. And it simply means to merge your identity with someone else. So you give up who you are to merge or to codependently connect or to fuse with someone else. I remember um, going to Romania years ago and we were with my friend that was uh, kind of giving us a tour of the area that we're in and we looked at all these Romanian Orthodox churches, these beautiful churches. And if I was to be frankly, like honest, maybe it'd be cool to have we had one of these here. We could gather in that. That would be awesome. It was so beautiful. Stained glass windows, etc. And I remember talking to this person that was giving us a tour and say how come there are only tourists in here this is a beautiful place to worship why is this space only being used as a museum and he said well when communism came around the church had a choice they could concede to the authorities and to the powers and lose their relevance but protect themselves and their institution." Or they could prophetically stand up for the truth in the midst of an oppressive regime and risk their institution and their livelihood. They chose to protect their institution and their livelihood and became irrelevant to everyone, seeing the Romanian Orthodox Church as just a tool of the state. So now we don't go here because it's become irrelevant. I think that we, in our moment, if I was to be honest, stand at a precipice where we have to daily make this decision of, am I going to concede my identity to whatever culture and blend into them, or am I going to remain uniquely a Jesus follower in the world, different from the world, loving the world, different from the world? Here's the trick. If you merge or fuse with whatever is liked and appreciated and valued in the culture, you will be irrelevant to culture because you'll be the same as culture. But if you are different from culture, not in an antagonistic way, but in a I seek to bless type of way, then you will actually offer something to culture that it doesn't already have. Yeah. The power rests in continuing to follow Jesus as we stay in the world. The f- unity of, the, of fusing is a, could be described as us as indistinguishable from them. The third false unity is the unity of the imperialist and the bully. This is the unity that was sought by the Crusades and the Inquisition. If we could just use our power to manipulate and coerce, then maybe we might have a type of unity. And in fact, there is a type of unity that happens there, but it's not a unity of the heart. It's a unity built around exertion of power. And let me just say this, when Jesus' name is fused with worldly power, Jesus' message is distorted and people are disillusioned. When Jesus' name is fused with worldly power, Jesus' message is distorted and and people are disillusioned. It's the false unity. This is the unity is us over them. But then there's a different type of unity. The unity of Jesus. I remember having a conversation um, with a professor uh, at Central Washington University. Many of you know as a college pastor there for years. And... um, This professor, she's a professor of environmental ethics and ecology and um, very fascinating person. She was only a few years older than me. And I remember in one of our conversations, she told me that she went to youth group a lot as a teenager and she actually gave her life to Jesus. And she said, there came a point where I was bullied so much by the church into, into doing certain things that I didn't know if I, were, I was, if I was ready for it, but they were pressuring, exerting this pressure on me that the best thing I could think of to do was just to vanish. Honestly, my heart broke. Later on after that conversation, I sent an email to her and where I quoted one of my favorite thinkers. His name's Leslie Newbegin. Leslie Newbegin was a missionary in India and then moved back to England only, uh, only to realize that England was just as much as a missionary place as was India. It had changed so much. And Leslie Newbegin wrote this, and this is what I passed on to my friend, this professor. He wrote, The Christian gospel has sometimes been made the tool of an imperialism. And of that, we have to repent. But at its heart, it is a denial of all imperialisms. For at the center, there is the cross where all imperialisms are humbled. And we are invited to find the center of human unity in the one who was made nothing so that all might be made one. The very heart of biblical biblical vision for unity of humankind is that at its center is not an imperial power, but the slain lamb. This is the unity of Jesus. He says in verse 25, righteous father, with his last words, Before the cross, righteous Father, though the world does not know you, I know you. And they know that you have sent me. Jesus desires the world to know that he is good and that he is powerful and that he is loving. And the way the world knows mysteriously is if we take God's glory seriously and then we we let the unity that exists within the Father, Son, and the Spirit to fill us and then we look unified in the way the world doesn't know how to be unified. And the world starts to know. The third aspect we see in Jesus' prayer is that Jesus prays we walk in God's love. That we walk in God's love. In verse 26, he says, I have made you known to them. He's talking about Jesus making the Father known to us and to his disciples. And when, we'll continue to make you known in order that, in order that, pay attention that the love you have for me may be in them and that I myself may be in them. Jesus wants you with some of Jesus's last words. He prayed that you might experience the love that is, is, in, the, is in the nature of God, the father, son, and spirit, that this God that is love, you might experience this as a practical experienced reality in your life. I don't know, um, I was talking to a counselor friend, you know, a few years ago, and he mentioned to me, he said, you know, typically when there is a mutual submission uh, and emotional health and spiritual health in between a husband and a wife, typically that will ripple out into the kiddos. And sometimes even another concentric circle into, you know, friends and family groups, extended family and you know, we went back and forth a little bit, and I said, "Wouldn't it be great um, if it was that simple?" Um, but we agreed that there is this—well, not a mathematical equation. One plus one equals, you know, whatever. But it happens. It ripples out. And what Jesus is saying, he's like, he's like, I, he's like saying this is true, but like on a spiritual level. He's saying, like, I want, I, I want my disciples to be so aware of me that they're paying attention to the love that exists in the trinity and that's rippling out into who they are it's flooding out into the relationships think about it think about like the love that exists in the father son and the spirit the trinity the christian god the father sends the son scripture tells us the son sends the spirit When the Spirit comes, and this John 14 and 16 says this, when the Spirit comes, it points back to. The Son, the whole job of the Holy Spirit is to, to conform us into the image of God and to grow us in, or the image of Jesus and, 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 and give us the power of Jesus. So the Spirit comes, it brings us, it points back to Jesus. It doesn't say, hey, look how great I am. It says, hey, look how great Jesus is. And Jesus, in John 5:19, he says that I only do what I see the Father doing. So Jesus is like, well, hey, look at the Father. And the Spirit's like, look at the Son. And, and, and the Father's like, I'm sending the Son. And everybody's pointing to each other. Compare this to a toxic work environment where you're like, you're hiding your good ideas because you're nervous somebody might steal them. Or you're nervous about somebody gossiping behind your back because they're gossiping about somebody else in front of you. The love of the Trinity is what Jesus wants us to experience. This deferential dance of love where the Father points to the Son and the Son points to the Spirit and the Spirit points to the Father and the Spirit points to the Son and on and on and on. He wants us to experience this deferential dance of love in our lives. Because the principle is, is that love sustains unity. You see, while the glory of God activates unity, And when we're unified, the world is drawn in. Love sustains unity. In verse 24, I'm not going to read it, but you can look it up if you want. In verse 24, there's actual words that Jesus uses in this prayer about the love he wants us to experience that are taken out of a Jewish betrothal ceremony. So a Jewish groom would hear these words and be like, dude, those are the words that I said to my wife. It's like words that are their wedding words. And Jesus is wanting us to experience that type of love in as as our vertical relationships with God, but then also in our horizontal relationships with each other. We're to walk in the love of God. To walk in the love of God. The band can come up at this point. Um, I, I think we stand at what I would call a prophetic moment in time. And I don't mean like the end is nigh type of prophetic. I mean like this prophetic moment where we can make a decision about the type of community that we're going to be. Will we blend into the world so we're indistinguishable from it? Will we protect ourselves in an us versus them approach? Will we seek to bully the world? Or will we practice the way of Jesus being cognizant and aware of his glory, seeking to be unified, loving each other. I would just say, Anchor Church, let's remain unified no matter the cost. I was listening to a teacher recently and he said, over the last two years, my wife and I decided, made a decision that we would not lose any Friends. So while the world was losing friends because of stances that this person took or that person took these people made it a practice a discipline to say hey we're not losing any friends because we're going to remember the thing that is most significant and that any change any change in anyone's life goes through the channels of relationship so cutting off relationship cuts off growth we remain unified remain unified recognizing that that's where the power is. And that's what Jesus asks. And we are to love radically, to not love as the world loves, giving out tit for tat based on what you did for me and I'll give in accordance with what you did for me, but we love radically. When we are are teased or mocked, we continue to love. We love, we love, we have love because Jesus first loved us and gave us a definition of what love is, that while we were yet sinners, he died for us. That's the definition of love. That's the love that we offer to the world that we have received from God. That's the love that we give to others. And we are to keep our eyes glued on the God that is three in one. The deferential dance of love that exists in the Trinity. We are invited to that table. There is a spot open for you. There is a space available for you to experience that love, the very love of God. We're going to do three things that reinforce this right now, and they're habits of us here at Anchor. We're going to practice communion and I want you to be aware as you're in line, take a moment to recognize that the words that are said to you are said to the person in front of you and behind you and recognize that they're powerful words for you but that you hold them as this glory, as it activates unity, recognizing that they're words that are applicable for all of us in this space. We're also going to offer prayer. Every week we offer prayer at both sides of the room and the beautiful thing about prayer is that it is incredibly unifying because when someone goes there for prayer and says, this is what I need prayer for, it's this beautiful leveling of the ground. It's like, oh yeah, sounds like you're like me. And all of a sudden the myths of somebody better than others and somebody looks better than whatever, it all settles down like dust as we recognize that we're all the same. We all need we all need God. And the third thing we're going to do is sing. I was reading a, um, a scientific study recently, and they were studying song and congregational song. And the conclusion was is that when we sing together, it's not only that we sing the same lyrics and some of us in the same key. Hello, chief offender myself but that as we pause at certain times and sing at other times, we also start to merge our heart rates as we're breathing in and out at the same rhythm. So you could say, not only do we have one voice in this room when we sing, but we share in one heartbeat. I can't think of a better expression of unity. So I want to invite you to stand and be mindful of the glory of God That whether it's tangibly felt or not, it is in this room. You might hold your hands with the palms facing the ground. And I'll lead us in this prayer, and then I'll tell you when to flip them. Spirit of the living God, we relinquish divisiveness and disunity. We relinquish fear that would seek to control. We would link, we relinquish the temptation of the bully to exert strength, to cause unity. We take on, as we flip our hands up facing up the ceiling, we take on the mind of Christ. We take on love. We're aware of your glory. Would you fill our empty hands with what we desperately need from you in the powerful, powerful name that is unrivaled, the name of Jesus.